Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The Athletic. Good morning. Welcome to the Daily Football Briefing from The Athletic. It's Tuesday the 10th of October. I'm Tim Spears and on today's show... UEFA are set to announce the hosts for Euro 2028. Today's a coronation. It was going to be a really exciting vote. Is Wayne Rooney heading to Birmingham? He seems to be keen to return home to the UK. And what does Lionel Messi do with no club games for the next four months? A major part of Lionel Messi's decision to come to Major League Soccer was for family reasons. This is the Daily Football Briefing with Tim Spears. The UK and the Republic of Ireland are set to be announced as hosts of the 2028 European Championship later today. UEFA will give the green light to the bid and the plan is to host matches at 10 stadiums across five countries. Six venues are in England and then one each in Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland. Senior football news reporter Matt Slater is in Neon, Switzerland where all this will be confirmed and he joins us now. Matt, what's going to happen today and why is this UK-Ireland bid unopposed? Today's a coronation. It was going to be a really exciting vote between the UK and Ireland bid and Turkey. But Turkey pulled out last week and Turkey were the only alternative. Turkey have gone in with Italy. This is classic football politics stuff. No losers. We don't do losers. So Turkey and Italy are going to share 2032. And that has left the way clear for UK and Ireland to do 2028. So we saw with the World Cup last week for 2030 that there could be up to six host nations automatically qualify. Will there be five automatic qualifications here? What, what do we what do we know about that? Mm. Well, this is this is where things get interesting. So no, we're going for a compromise. So there's going to be a backstop of two two free spots for host nations. Now, that I think is a reflection that five, Northern Ireland, Scotland, Wales, Ireland and England, is probably too many free berths to hand out when you've only got 32 spots in the tournament. And also, they're all talking a good game. They all want to qualify. However, just in case only three of us make it, there's a backstop of two berths for the other host nations that don't make it. I think where things might get really interesting is it, let's just say, only two or only one of the five make it, qualify, and then we have these two backstop spaces. They would be for the best qualifiers, the best of the rest, if you like. Host tournaments, you kind of want the host there. But this is, I think, a compromise between handing out five free passes. Some might be surprised to see England co-hosting a Euro so soon after the the chaos of Euro 2020 and the final and all the you know the horrific scenes we saw there is that even been discussed here has that been a factor well it, it it's, it's been discussed but it's 
very quickly been caveated and qualified, right? So already we've seen UEFA have come back to England and come back to Wembley for big games. They love Wembley. And uh, the reason they like Wembley is it's a massive stadium in London. So lots of seats in a country that tolerates relatively high prices for tickets in a city that sits really nicely for a time zone in a place that's full of hotels and has a really big airport or two. So London makes sense as a venue for major sporting events. So yes, it's a big problem that, that what happened at Euro 2020, but apologies have been made. We've seen similar problems at other stadiums as well. Lots of learning, both for UEFA, the FA and for Wembley. And I think there's a sort of feeling that, okay, that, that won't happen again. We like Wembley. We trust the FA. Anything else we're expecting to hear about today, Matt? Well, I think we're probably going to get a breakdown perhaps of, of where the games will be. I mean, that's very much for the for the organisers themselves. So, you know, England, Scotland, Ireland, Northern Ireland and Wales. I suspect we're going to hear the first game will be in Cardiff. I think the, the Welsh are really keen on putting the first game on. I think both semis and the final will be at Wembley. I think one of the stories of this entire bid is the Northern Ireland venue. So that's going to be this place called Casement Park, which is the GAA, so the the Gaelic sport venue. It's derelict. It's been derelict for years. And it's a massive political story in Northern Ireland. Who is going to pay for that stadium? And gets you into really, really interesting stuff about how the GAA views football and how football views the GAA. We're getting into proper sort of Northern Ireland politics here. So who foots that bill? Because Windsor Park, where they Northern Ireland play their football, is just too small. So we need a big venue in Northern Ireland. So there's a really interesting story there. I suspect that Everton's Bramley Moor, and of course that's not fully finished yet, will get a quarterfinal. So that will, I think we'll get one of the quarterfinals. You're listening to the Daily Football Briefing from The Athletic. Now, what do you do when your team are finally looking good, sixth in the table after years of underachievement and disappointment? You sack your manager, of course. That's what Birmingham City, the club with new owners and NFL legend Tom Brady on board, did yesterday, ditching John Eustace with none other than Wayne Rooney waiting in the wings to replace him. In a statement, Birmingham said a new first-team manager will be announced in the coming days who will be responsible for creating an identity and clear no-fear playing style that all Birmingham City teams will adopt and embrace. So what's all that about? Let's bring in Tom Burrows, who's been all over this story for The Athletic. Tom, was this expected? I think it's come as a surprise given where they are in the league. They beat West Brom in a derby game on on Friday night, 3-1 which is their second successive victory and put them into sixth on the table. So they're in the playoff positions. They had a sticky September, but they've obviously turned that around and they've started this season well. So in some ways that comes as a a surprise, given the position in the table, playing much better than previous season. But at the same time, as you said, obviously there'd been this change of ownership in the summer and there was always this sense that they were looking to put their own stamp on things and the logical thing would be to bring in their own manager. I mean, Birmingham have been crying out for that change for a long time. In the past seven seasons, they've finished between 17th and 20th in the championship, which just feels like some kind of purgatory. But now they're finally doing well and they've sacked the manager who's guided them to this good start. You know, this they're aiming high, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. They brought in 13 new players this season, 
Tom Brady's come in as a as a minority owner. And I think there is the sense of they wanted to bring in a kind of high profile manager, a big name. And you could tell with the celebrations on Friday night with John Eustace when Gary Gardner scored that fantastic free kick later on in the game. But he's placed this down with purpose. It's Gary Gardner! It's terrific in front of the Tilton! Punching the club badge. He was gesturing manically to the fans, pointing a lot into the stands. It felt a bit like the kind of outpouring of emotion from a manager who perhaps suspected he was on borrowed time here and wanted to make his point. And you say big name, you know, from what from what we gather, that big name, and they don't come much bigger in the in the English football world, is, is Wayne Rooney with Ashley Cole as his, as his assistant. Does, does this look pretty nailed on to happen? Rooney certainly seems to be the leading candidate to, uh, to replace Eustace. I mean, all the stars seem to be aligned now. He he left DC United. Obviously disappointed we, we cannot make playoffs now. That was our goal, that was our ambition, and we haven't managed to do that. And it, for, for me, my position is um, I will believe in the club. His son, Kai, then followed a string of Birmingham City players on Instagram on Sunday, which was a bit of a giveaway. And he seems to be keen to sort of return home to the to the UK. So at the moment, that, that certainly looks like the, the kind of leading candidate and talks between Rooney and the club are ongoing. Big name for sure, but from what we know of Rooney, this obviously a very, very difficult job at Derby, but fans won't be blown away by his track record. I think one of the things that people would credit Rooney with having done well was that Derby obviously brought through a lot of the young players, really gave them a chance and he did the same again at DC United. But there was a lot of games where they gave away really kind of sloppy goals and defence. And I think that was a bit of a thing that happened at Derby as well. So a few issues for concern there, I think, with Rooney coming in. But there's also some some positives there with the with the younger players. Thanks, Tom. And if you think John Eustace's sacking was harsh, there's plenty more where that came from on The Athletic today. Whilst Rooney leaving DC United was headline news over the weekend, one thing which may have slipped your attention is that Inter Miami are now no longer able to make the MLS playoffs. Lionel Messi's season with Inter Miami is almost over, of course, with Inter Miami not making the playoffs. So, does that mean a few months off for one of the world's best ever players? Or could he do a David Beckham and head on loan to Europe? Jeff Reuter is part of the athletic soccer team and has all the answers. Jeff, map out the timeline for us, if you would. How long can Messi go without competitive action in a Miami shirt? For Inter-Miami, it's going to be a a considerable gap. So Inter-Miami does still have two regular season games remaining, both of which actually are against the same club, Charlotte FC. Those two games, we'll see how involved Lionel Messi is now that Inter-Miami essentially has nothing left to play for except for determining next year's roster holdovers uh, among the players with contract options. So at that point, let's say he does play, in both games, that means that his final competitive game will be on the 21st of October. And from there, it is unknown. There are some schedules which still have not yet been announced, both by Major League Soccer and by CONCACAF, the governing body, of course, for North America. The next uh, competition, which would be on offer, is not actually the MLS regular season, which is expected to kick off as usual in either the last weekend of February or the 1st of March, but instead the CONCACAF Champions Cup, which Inter Miami qualified for thanks to winning the league's cup over the summer that competition has also not released its schedule however historically the first games have taken place in the middle of february so 
Either way, we are likely looking at a four-month layoff here for Lionel Messi's club involvement, uh, leaving his only meaningful games likely to come with the Argentina men's national team. So four months, quite a while. Anyone, and I assume everyone uh, listening to this, has watched the Beckham documentary and will have fresh in their minds, you know, the, the controversy over him going on loan to AC Milan. Any chance that Messi follows this path a few years later, but Barcelona being an obvious sort of one that people might assume uh, might be an option? Yeah, Barcelona is sort of the only one that you would assume at this point, you know, just kind of revisiting the bidding war for him over the summer, which was, of course, Major League Soccer and the Saudi Pro League. It was not a bidding war involving multiple European clubs. However, there are a lot of reasons to expect that Barcelona will not be a lone destination for Lionel Messi this winter. There's a a great article which was put out by um, one of my colleagues, which I recommend everyone reads. But essentially, a few factors play into this. First of all, a major part of Lionel Messi's decision to come to Major League Soccer was for family reasons, to actually be able to enjoy some of that work-life balance that some of us try to covet. And so the idea of relocating the family for an entire month just does not seem to fit with his plans once he signed with Inter-Miami. Of course, the relationship with Joan Laporte and many other leaders at FC Barcelona's hierarchy, that relationship has been fractured ever since his departure in 2021 and the nature by which he left for Paris Saint-Germain. That did not get better over time. And that was also, of course, part of why he did not return there in 2023. Uh, But I think that for similar reasons, it is more likely that if Lionel Messi and FC Barcelona are going to be taking the field together, it would be as opponents in some sort of send-off game, either when uh, the new camp reopens or for some spectacle showcase in Miami, than for him actually donning the jersey once again. Cheers, Jeff. Quick TV section for you. It might be the international break in the men's game, but the Women's Champions League second qualifying round gets underway tonight. Manchester United hosts PSG, and you can find it on MUTV or on DAZN in the States. Kickoff is at 8pm or 3pm Eastern Time. Right, that's all for today. Thanks for listening. I've been Tim Spears. Your producers were Abby Patterson and Mike Zimmerman, and executive producer was Ian McIntosh. If you're new to the show, we'd love you to subscribe and come back for more, and feel free to leave us a review if you can. Michael Bailey will be with you tomorrow morning. In the meantime, have a great day. The Athletic.